are listening to another episode of the Coach's Circle Podcast, brought to you by LifeCoachPath.com. Our goal is to explore all the different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching, wellness, and mental health. Each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit www.lifecoachpath.com. And now, here's your host, Brandon Baker. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Amanda Craig. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and the founder of Manhattan Marriage and Family Therapy in my native New York City. Hi, Dr. Craig. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hello. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to have someone local. <laughs> I'm in Manhattan thank as well. You, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's it's a, it's definitely a pleasure. Um, I I just wanted to start off with some basics about your work. So, can you just tell the audience a bit more about you, about your background, and a bit about the clients that you see every day? Sure. So my doctorate is in family psychology, and so I often tell my clients the relationship is really my client. In other words, I work a lot with families and couples to make their relationships healthier um, and just overall feel better within the relationships, whether it's couples or parent and, and teen or tween. Right, right. Okay. All right, so something I'd like to ask guests on the show is, um, I think something pertinent to a lot of the listeners who are in that beginning stage, maybe thinking of making a career switch, um, a career transition. So how did you first get interested in in psychology and, and therapy in general? What what kind of prompted you to, to pursue this career path? Well, <laughs> truth be told, um, when I was a teenager, I got in some trouble and I ended up in a diversion program. And the diversion program included um, counseling. And it was the first time I met with a counselor and I thought it was an amazing experience to go talk with somebody. I wasn't going to get in trouble. They weren't going to think my ideas were stupid. And I could just like unload a bunch of stress and worry that I was having. And that experience really um, sat with me forever. And I just always knew I was going to do something in the field of psychology. I thought I was going to be a psychologist, and that was kind of the direction I was going. Um, and I got my BA in psychology and socio sociology, double majored. And then I got a master's in counseling psychology. And when I was looking at PhD programs, um, I was taking a marriage and family therapy class, and that class shifted me from psychology to family systems. It was it was just such an obvious um, kind of aha moment where I had to work with systems and the concept of relationships and making them better and improving relationships um, was was just felt so right to me. Right, right. And I think what you're pointing at there is the power of actually being on the other end of the relationship, being the client. Um, <clears throat> and that's something that we talk about a lot on the show, especially, well, in my conversations with coaches, a lot of coaches mention how 
they think it's valuable and sometimes even necessary to be the best coach you can be to to be the client, to actually seek out coaching yourself. Because at any age, I mean, you, you get to see how others practice their coaching work, whatever modality they're using. Um, and there's a lot out there. And yes. yeah, and, and the same obviously applies with therapy. Um, you know, I think I think a person can can glean a lot as perhaps a future therapist to actually be on the other end of that relationship and and see what that interaction is like and what they liked, what they didn't like, how they might want to improve on that. So um, obviously your situation came at a very early age and it didn't come with any kind of career intentions at the start. Um, but still, the effect that it had on you um, served as an inspiration. You're, you're so right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I would say I've been in therapy since. And, um, you know, I think it's so important to know what it feels like to sit on the couch. Um, I often say that to new uh, clinicians so that you can feel the vulnerability that you're putting or your clients are putting themselves in um, and to just have that experience to draw from when somebody comes in your office. And the other time I've definitely done some therapy work is when I've, when I've learned about a new therapeutic modality. So I'm trained in um, emotionally focused therapy and also EMDR. And I've experienced both of those as a client um, to really understand what the modality feels like to be on the client side. I think it's just a really rich experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you for, for sharing that experience. And I also wanted to touch on something that um, intrigued me when I read your, your bio on your online materials. And that is that your focus with your clients is on the positive, not the negative. And I think we can all kind of understand what you're getting at there. I think generally, you know, especially with regards to like diagnostics and um, people's general understanding of psychology, it's very often negative. It's kind of what's broken, what's wrong, what needs to be fixed. So um, if you want, you can discuss a little bit about that. But what, what I wanted to ask you in relation to that, just to give listeners a, a very, very concrete, practical understanding of how that shift in focus actually works Maybe if you can walk us through, say, um, kind of like a, a sample um, case where somebody, say, is, is dealing with addiction. Like, how might that client be spoken to or treated maybe from the negative perspective, like kind of the way things used to be done or they used to be seen? And how would you change that conversation to shift mm -hmm. more toward a positive viewpoint? It's a great question, and um, yeah, something to really pause as a clinician or a coach and think about how we display to our clients or mirror their story that we're hearing. And, you know, I, I just fundamentally come from the place of humanity, right? The one thing we all have in common is we're human beings. And with that comes our emotions and our life experiences and our insecurities and our struggles and our wins and our triumphs. And that process is so amazing and I think needs to be honored and it is our strength. So even when we've made bad choices, and we've 
um, said wrong things and we've hurt people in that there was a hurt or pain often in us that we exposed in a way that was hurtful for others, if that makes sense. So in other words, if, if I hurt somebody, it's not by intent. You know, typically 90% of the time, unless we are getting into, you know, antisocial personality disorder, it's not malice intent that we hurt each other right? There's some insecurity or some shame going on with me that leaps into that behavior that hurts somebody else. And so what I like to focus on is really those, those vulnerable, sensitive parts of ourselves that come up that ultimately hurt ourselves or the world around us or the people that we love and healing those parts so that we can bring something different to relationships. So taking the example of addiction, and I've worked a fair amount with addiction, especially earlier in my career, and we can easily, that's a great example, because someone comes in and we can talk about the DWI they got and the bad choices they made and um, how they speak to their family and, and all the legal problems they're creating and how they need to just right? Fill in the blank. Just Mm -hmm. stop that. Just go to meetings. Just go to your parole officer. Just keep, keep, keep going. Keep follow up on your meetings. Just go to work, right? And all that often does is make people feel worse about themselves. It brings up the guilt and shame, which just takes them back to that painful place that probably is part of the reason they're drinking in the beginning. Right, so it can actually compound the problem. Yeah. Of course, right? We're actually highlighting their hurts and pains that lead to the bad behaviors we're trying to extinguish. Yeah, not only highlighting, but leaving them exposed. Yeah. Yeah, and then leaving them exposed all by themselves. Mm -hmm. Recipe for disaster. No wonder people make bad choices or say hurtful things, right? It hurts to be in those spaces. But when we can join somebody in their pain, so take the same addiction. Yes, you did all that. You know you did all those things, the, the, the domestic violence or the stealing or the drunk driving. But you know you did all those things. I don't need to park in that with you. But I, what I am really curious about is tell me what's going on for you. Tell me what it's like when you drink. Tell me what it's like right before you drink. Tell me about um, what, what leads you to grab the drink? Tell me what it's like when you're not drinking. Tell me what it's like when you're feeling bad about something and you don't reach for alcohol. Help me understand your humanity. Help me understand the struggles that you're in and the triumphs you have. I can focus on you've relapsed six times since I last saw you, or I can focus on tell me about those three times where you didn't drink. What was that like? Tell me about those experiences. Right. Because then what we're doing is enhancing the things that you do well, the parts of you that you like about yourself, the parts that are important to you, and the parts that you want more of in your life. And we're bringing those and we're honoring those and we're validating those 
we see that part of you. And to be seen in your good humanity makes people feel good. It gives people strength and courage and hope. And it's from hope that we can make changes. Absolutely. That was that was beautifully said. And I, I think what you're alluding to there is something that keeps coming up in a lot of conversations I have, which is the fact that the relationship itself between therapist and client or coach and client is often what drives that transformational change. It's not, you know, what people typically think of as, well, what do you say when you're a therapist or what what's the right thing to say to elicit that aha moment? It's often not just what you say. It's often just as much about that rapport, that trust, that that, you know, relationship that you've built up, that you've worked hard to to secure with the client. And what you're what you're saying now is basically focus on building that because nobody is going to feel trust or, you know, any kind of buy-in in a coach in a therapy uh, client relationship if all the topic of discussion is all the stuff that they did wrong. Because most people don't see themselves like that. People see themselves as generally doing the thing that they should be doing. Um, I mean, there are, of course, some people that, you know, um, that don't quite see it that way. But generally, people don't see themselves as just an accumulation of, of mistakes, of bad decisions. And so by shifting that focus to the good, you're speaking to people in their own language, in the way they see themselves, and you're able to build that relationship that way. So, um, and, so yeah, yeah, so that does make a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, yeah. there's kind of two things, right? Some people come in and they they don't see any error of their ways and it's somebody else's fault. And other people come in and they feel so much shame and guilt about the position they're in. And you're, you're spot on. We don't join with people by highlighting what they do wrong, right? That actually alienates people. We join with people by listening to their story and giving them the sense that they're being heard and understood and that we're sitting in it with them. Absolutely. Perfect. Um, I think that's a really key shift. And I think that can be applied to coaches, to therapists, to basically anybody looking to incorporate, you know, uh, mental health into their work. Um, try to speak to people on on their level, and often what that means is focusing on the positive, not the negative. Nobody wants to feel like they're getting scolded. That's not going to be conducive to a trusting relationship moving forward. So, um, yeah, You're that's right. And yeah. and can I say one more thing about that? Yeah, because often people, you know, early clinicians will say, "Well, aren't you avoiding the problem, or aren't you then?" Um, not working towards a solution. And my pushback on that is you can talk about where people are vulnerable or hurting in a way that's strength-based or offering validation or reassurance by sitting in it with them. And so it's not that you're not going deep. You're going deep into their who they are. You're just honoring that, honoring that and giving it a Space to be understood. And I think that's an important distinction between, you know, going to the depths of somebody's vulnerability and staying surface in a coaching or clinical setting. Right. 
And in the lives of so many clients, there is nobody available who can just sit with them in the problem, in the issue. And, right. yep. um, and when there is nobody to turn to, something as simple as that, as just letting the client have the space to express that, is how it, that's getting you halfway there already. So you're um, so right. Yeah. Well said. So, so perfect. I I wanted to also kind of like as a as a last topic, I, I wanted to touch upon something else that you mentioned on your bio, and that's you know something that you hear a lot of therapists kind of echo a similar sentiment, which is that your favorite moments is when you see a wave of relief in your patients. And, you know, coaches call this the aha moment, right? It's kind of different. Um, I think maybe with therapy, the sentiment is more commonly relief and peace, maybe, and maybe understanding. Um, yes. With, with, re with regards to coaches, the sentiment is often kind of like inspiration or the aha or whatever you want to call it, maybe some kind of motivation to move forward. Um, so these are commonly the, everybody kind of understands these are the reasons to get into it. This is kind of the, the ultimate goal. But what I wanted to ask you and important for listeners who are just getting into this field is what are maybe one or two or however many, what are some things that you maybe didn't foresee in your practice as a therapist that were challenging? So things that really, you know, maybe push you to the brink or maybe things that you would have done differently or um, a shift that you would have made from the beginning to make your job more effective or easier that you would recommend to anybody just starting off, um, you know, in the beginning of their career where you were before? Um, one of my favorite tips, and it took me a long time to be able to sit comfortably in this, um, but it's the idea of, as therapists, we're asking a lot of um, questions, we're assessing, we're trying to understand their narrative. And sometimes we get it wrong. We're not hearing what they're saying, or they don't feel like we're getting it. Maybe we're paraphrasing or using different language than what resonates for them, and they push back on our narrative of that. And as a new therapist, we often get nervous or on defense when we get that feedback from our clients. And how I reframe that and find it super helpful in my career is when, when clients correct me, I am so thankful that they're engaging with me and they want to share their story and they want me to understand it. And so the information the, of, of kind of clarifying or correcting me isn't so much for me to be wrong and to feel bad or to get on the defense or like I should have done better, but more to drop into understanding, oh, so I don't have this quite right. Tell me more or tell me what word you like better than that word. Or I'm so glad you're opening up um, this part of you because I don't think I was quite getting it. All of those are ways to let the client know, I'm so glad you're in this with me and I'm in it with you too. And even though I may not have gotten that point that you were sharing right, I'm still in it learning with you. 
Right, right. And Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And you're 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 tipping off the client that you're not just putting them in a box. Um, that maybe you've seen two hundred patients just like them, and you're just giving them this quick, you know, you know, off the cuff diagnosis. Like, hey, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure you fall into this box, and that's the kind of you know uh, cliche that I'm going to box you into. That, that this is just who you are. You're actually recognizing publicly that their situation is unique, it's nuanced, um, and you're trying to get every detail exactly right. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's really important. And it also speaks to avoiding pre-existing bias, you know, which is really, really tricky yeah. because obviously your, your preconceptions and your biases that you come into this field with help to inform some of the good work you do. So it's... Um, totally. Yeah, so it's it's tricky to know when to put those biases aside and let the client tell you who they are and what they're going through, not what you maybe thought um, their particular situation was. So, yeah. Absolutely. I love that. Yes, well said. Yeah, that's that's really great. And it's okay. It's, it's that joining, you know. It's, it's so okay to be wrong and to learn more about them. So, yes. That was well said. Perfect. Yeah, Dr. Craig, this was this was really, really helpful. I think anybody looking to get into therapy or coaching, I think would take would take a lot out of this. I think you brought up some some important points um, that are that apply to both uh, lines of work. So uh, thank you for for your time. Thank you for chatting with me today. I enjoyed talking with you. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. I also want to give listeners a chance to learn more um, about you and about the work you're doing. So uh, do you want to share your your website and how they can learn more about your practice? Certainly. So I have a group practice in Manhattan. Um, We're doing telehealth now with the um, COVID um, temperature. Um, but we also have an office on 39th between 5th and Madison, and I also see clients in Darien, Connecticut. Um, you can access our website. We have a ton of good information. We have a um, whole library. Um, we have some special projects we've gotten into that are more community-based, and we also have um, a blog section at www.manhattanmft for marriagefamilytherapy.com. Perfect. And there is also a um, therapist corner for anybody who wants resources as a therapist. There's some good stuff there. Awesome. You know, it, it's so nice to hear a guest mention streets in New York uh, because to, that's that's where I am. And like the, the, the words just, you know, flow because I'm so familiar with every corner of the city. Typically, um, you know, I, I speak to guests that are all over the country, sometimes all over the world. And um, I have no idea where they are. They mentioned. (laughs) So it is kind of nice that someone's speaking my language here. Um, And any New Yorkers out there know exactly what I'm talking about. So Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) Dr. Craig, thank you so much. Uh, I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Have a good day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one.